Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Well, as it happens on rare occasions, Michael Kelly is out of town today. He's, uh, well, he's somewhere. He's going to join us after this next break, but uh, we are pleased. Delighted, in fact, to be joined by Megan Shackelford filling in. How are you, Megan? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Megan Shackelford, she works for Show Me Victories, a Democrat political organization in town, does a lot of campaign work uh, all over the place. And more important for my purposes this morning, Megan, you are a native of Jefferson City, Missouri. I sure am. So I am later this afternoon getting in a car and driving to Jefferson City, Missouri to attend a wedding. Beautiful. Yeah, lovely, lovely wedding. St. Joseph's Catholic Church there. Uh, Reception's going to be, I'm sure, perfectly lovely. Here's my problem. Okay. The invitation comes in the mail. It's got it all laid out there, how many for dinner, and, you know, you have any food allergies and blah, blah, blah. And it has a notation on it, no gifts, please. Now, I've never gone to a wedding without bringing a gift. And it's not like it's a second or third or fourth marriage. It's a, you know, it's first marriage for both. They're young, younger kids. And I am torn because I feel like, I don't know, I feel like a cheapo not bringing a gift. What yeah. does one do? Is this a common thing in Jeff City that you don't have I gifts? I have at- never heard about this in Jeff City particularly. Okay. Uh, right. I don't think they're adverse to gifts in the mid yeah. In the middle of the state. Uh-huh. But I do think people, a lot of folks are moving towards, I think, just wanting less and, and just like decluttering. So maybe it's a simple, you know, situation that they have what they need and they don't necessarily need more and new. And, and in a way, I really respect that. But I also understand your position of you want to be celebrating them. You're yeah. grateful for the invitation. Yeah. And I would just say, who's going to turn down cash? Well, I mean, there's that. But I mean, who doesn't need a chip and dip bowl? I mean, Me, you know, I don't need you a don't chip need and a chip bowl. and dip. Bowl. No one needs a chip and dip bowl. Well, of course you do. How often do you use a chip and dip? Bowl? Whenever I have chips I and dip, have, I am committed. We have gone through our house to really decluttering and the amount of stuff you realize that you have that you do not touch. And if you touch it once a year, you probably don't really need it. So I kind of I sympathize with this couple of saying, you know, less is more. My wife was out of town last weekend and my business partner from Jefferson City. Uh, came up and we uh, just hung out for an evening and I made dinner and uh, <clears throat> got out the chip and dip bowl. You did. It had the little, uh, what do you call them? The little uh, brown brie things. You know what I'm talking about? The oh, brown... a ramekin? Isn't that, no? Oh, no, that... the brie, the cheese. Oh, it's the a... actual cheese. Yeah. The bowl you can put, yeah. Yeah. No, well, so I get out the chip and dip bowl because I'm mm-hmm. entertaining. Yes. And uh, so we got the brie cheese there in the middle. I got the little summer sausage that I slice up, you know, put it around some Ritz crackers. I mean, it does sound lovely. If it you was have lovely. it, great. But I could see you don't need multiple. All right. So I'm not bringing a chip and dip. How about a p- pots and pans? How are you going to do anything without pots and pans? Well, maybe they have them. Well, why would they have pots and pans for the love of Pete? You know, young people cook, too. Do they? Before they're married. Oh. Are you? Do you cook? I cook, yeah. I really? enjoy cooking quite a lot. Have you always cooked, or is this um, something of a more recent uh, I think uh, the pandemic being home all the time ah. made me really enjoy it quite a bit more. Yeah. Um, but we've really transitioned to eating mostly at home. We used to be people who really enjoyed restaurants and we went out for dinner a couple of weeks ago and realized we hadn't been out to dinner in maybe two months. Wow. Yeah. And so you must enjoy cooking. I do enjoy it. I, I don't Even every fancy. single night? We make dinner and we make lunch. We all work from home. We yeah. eat lunch as a family. We make breakfast as a family. We eat dinner as a family. Well, that's lovely. Yeah, I, I quite like it. 
Huh. Do you have a, a particularly uh, favorite dish that uh, is a wow? Oh, I am a soup season soup. fanatic. Soup. I will. Ma- I would eat soup every single day. So if I'll see my now. family soup. would allow. You got a lot of water in there. Eat broth. Oh, okay. I use a lot of broth. A chicken broth. Yeah, a lot uh-huh. of broth. Uh-huh. All kinds of broth. Uh, do yeah. you put meat in the soup? Oh, yeah. I make um, a like cabbage and ground beef vegetable soup that's delicious. Cabbage. My family loves pumpkin chili we make pumpkin. quite a lot. Pumpkin chili. This is, they've, they've done it again. They're putting pumpkin crap no, in everything. this is really smart because this is not sweet pumpkin. This is not pumpkin spice. It's oh. just pureed pumpkin in a can, and it makes it very creamy a without adding any cream. Also, all the you know extra benefits of the nutrients in pumpkin, which is pretty good for you. So it makes it really creamy. Pumpkin and is good for you. Yeah, yeah. Pumpkin is good orange, for you. Orange vegetables are good for you. Oh, they improve the eyesight. I guess. Yeah. I like the carrots. I think that's what they there. do. I don't like carrots. I don't either. know. It just I like the creaminess factor. You know. Yeah, I love soup. KMOX, the 2023 Large Market Radio Station of the Year, recognized by the Missouri Broadcasters Association. KMOX, we were built for this. One thing does indeed lead to another. Megan Shackelford in for Michael Kelly, but fear not on the remarkable technology of the telephone. We are joined by none other than Michael Kelly this morning. Michael, how are you, partner? I'm doing well. Good morning to you guys. Megan, thank you for going in there and tolerating John Hancock for me for a couple hours. It's a pleasure. It, yeah. is, a, it is a pleasure. Uh, where do we find you in the world this morning? Well, well, John, I'm I, I'm I'm out celebrating a uh, pretty successful day on the snooker table. I don't know if you've had a chance to tell the listeners. Uh, I don't like to talk, but uh, we uh, we were able to get out the last uh, what earlier in the week, and yes. I don't believe uh, I don't I think we played like three or four games, and I I don't believe you won one. I won one. Oh uh, yeah, <clears throat> okay. But otherwise, it was a pretty successful day. But it was. Uh, where does it? I am in Jupiter, Florida, um, checking out the investment that the Cardinals are making on uh, new spring training facilities. And uh, what are they doing to that sucker? I don't nothing yet. And uh, I'm looking around to see if there's any pitchers down here that may be coming in for an interview and uh, have a conversation with them. Make sure they sign up for it. (laughs) Well, there you go. Megan says she'll be down. She's she's coming down to join you, right, Megan? Yep, I'm skipping Sunday. I'm hopping straight down there, Michael. <laughs> I, I would love to have you, Megan, but uh, who's going to sit and argue with John Hancock about his really screwed up uh, party right now? Hey, John, finally got a speaker, buddy. we got to be thrilled about that, huh? Well, uh, Mike Johnson, the Republican from Louisiana, is, in fact, the Speaker of the House, and that's where we start our pol- political segment this morning, Uh I don't know much about Mike Johnson, Michael. I, he was not somebody that was uh, known to me. I think we cycled through four other people before we got to Mike Johnson. He did get a unanimous vote out of the caucus. Seems like he's quite conservative, and uh, you know, I, I think he's got a big he's got a big job to do. Yeah, he does. And you know what's interesting, John, is like you said. I mean, this guy who's never been a committee chairman. Um, his politics aren't my cup of tea. He seems to be a little extreme far right. The question is whether or not he'll be able to make the institution work. And, you know, I know a lot of this MAGA stuff is all about breaking down walls and busting up institutions. But at the end of the day, the United States Congress has a set of rules that they operate and work by. And to be successful, you have to be able to work inside of those um, inside of those rules and laws. And I wonder if his caucus will give him uh, the ability to, number one, 
uh, do that, implement the rules, hold people accountable. And then two, John, find compromise. And, you know, compromise seems to be a dirty word inside the Republican Party. Um, do you think this guy's going to have the portfolio to be able to go out and cut a deal on, you know, the financing and extension of uh, of the, the payments that are necessary, et cetera? Well, I think he will have the capacity to put together something similar to what Kevin McCarthy did. The question is whether his caucus will allow him to do that. And so, you know, there's some indication that he may have a little bit of a grace period here, and I hope so, uh, because I, I don't want to see the government shut down. I wanted to ask you, Megan, so it, being in the minority caucus right now, the Democrats have, you know, very tight, but they're in the minority What's their incentive to come to the table and and work with the Republicans, if any? Because, you know, the, the Congress is an institution. Uh, it's a body, but it's also a partisan political entity. Yeah. You have to really compartmentalize it, right? There's the government, you know, track of things that you have to consider, and then there's the political track. As Democrats, I feel we always don't do the best job walking that line because I think as Democrats, we are very interested in doing what's best for the American people, making government work for the people. We actually believe in government in the Democratic Party. We we think it's a good thing and then it can help improve lives. So there's that. And then there's also the idea that we don't want to make things any easier for the Republicans who have no interest in really fixing things and providing services to folks. So it's a hard line to walk. Um, but I do think so far Democrats have shown kind of the right path of kind of letting Republicans show themselves to the world, show themselves to the American people. This is who they are. This is how they operate. And kind of just taking that step back, doing the right thing whenever it really comes time, but not inserting themselves beforehand. So, Michael, did you follow the uh, little flare up yesterday between Missouri's uh, Congressman Jason Smith and Florida's Congressman Matt Gates? I did see that. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously there's uh, personal uh, nonsense going on there. The part of the, you know, the politics of personal destruction. Uh, you know, I don't know much about where it's coming from, but it's safe to say that if Matt Gates is up to something, uh, it's not good. And what's crazy is that Jason Smith is no shrinking violet when it comes to conservatism. I mean, this is a man who's, you know, uh, run the finance committee or what do they call it? The uh, Ways and Means Committee. Ways and Means Committee. Uh, I mean, he's no shrinking violet when it comes to being a, a conservative, but this this Republican on Republican crime, I just don't see how it's productive in the end, and that that's what we uh, appear to be witnessing so, there. So for those of you that are uninitiated on this topic, let me recap, because it all started down the hall yesterday. Jason Smith, the Republican congressman from southeast Missouri, was on the Mark Cox show yesterday morning. They got into a conversation about Matt Gates and... Long story short, Jason Smith said that Matt Gates was not being honest. Uh, he was he was misrepresenting what actually happened in the speaker votes and that he was lying. And that happened on the Mark Cox show yesterday morning. Well, yesterday evening, Matt Gates, who has a podcast, uh, basically said that Jason Smith is living a lie and insinuated that he was a closeted homosexual. And that, uh, and this is Republican, and Michael, you're quite right. Jason Smith is as conservative, as pro-Trump as any member of the entire U.S. House of Representatives. What, Megan, do you make of the intra-party fighting like this? 
It's embarrassing. They should be embarrassed, but shame and embarrassment don't seem to be anything that has much sway over congressional Republicans these days. I think the fact that Matt Gates has a podcast and is going on slinging gossip like he's a reality TV star just really shows you what Trump has done to this party. Yeah. Right. They've taken yeah. things to such an embarrassing and shameful level. And he's out there making personal allegations on a podcast. You're a United States congressman. Get it together. Yeah, and this is guys. What, I mean, doesn't it feel like this is the real Housewives of Washington D.C.? I mean, these guys all have podcasts now. Even our own Congress, he's on both sides of the aisle. Even our own Congressman Cory Bush, they they go out there, and it's like they're more interested in celebrity than they are in governing. And I think that's what's happening here. And I don't, John. What is going on in the psychology inside the Republicans where they don't seem to be for anything other than anger and wanting to rip people to shreds, even in their own party, which is who the targets are these days. Well, I mean, you've got you've got a, n- a number of members, and it's not a huge number, but it's significant enough, certainly enough to, uh, you know, gum up the works uh, because we've got a four-seat majority. And there are people, and I think Mitt Romney was quoted a week or so ago basically saying that, not everybody in Congress wants to be a member of Congress. Not everybody in Congress wants to legislate. Not everybody in Congress is interested in policy. And we have, uh, in, in both parties, but it's more pronounced now with the Republicans because they are in control, uh, you've got these people who really have no interest in governing, have no interest in filing or passing legislation. Uh, there, there are dozens of members that go to Congress and never introduce a bill. They you know? seem more interested in being political influencers mm. and building these little mini media businesses than actually doing anything. And it it's really disappointing because they could just become, you know, a radio personality or go on television. Let people who actually want to do work do the important work. And I think it's just sad for our country that, that the unseriousness yep. of the direction things are. And it pays off, Michael. Uh, you know, what one of the... We talk a lot about the influence of social media, but if you look at what's happened with these extreme members, I don't care which party they are. Extreme members represent perhaps a small number of people, but it's a very passionate number of people, and they reach them on social media. And if you look at the number of $5, $10 political donations that occur, uh, particularly for those who say the most outrageous things, there's a real financial benefit to them. Yeah, I guess that's the case. Um, even from a more microscopic level there in St. Louis, watching Cory Bush and now Megan Green uh, accuse the Israelis of genocide and stuff, I, you're right. I mean, it just seems like there seems to be some type of uh, recognition or support for people who are going against what seems like common sense and going against where their own constituents are, whether it be on the you know, the homeless bill or the, the, the Israeli situation. I don't know if you guys saw what Megan Green did yesterday coming out and accusing the Israelis of being, I mean, first of all, you know, Megan Green, the president of the Board of Aldermen, can't pave the roads, can't pick up trash, but she's got, you know, strong feelings on how to solve the crisis in the Middle East. You know, it seems to be rewarded by that small group of people, even though it's out of touch with where the bulk of their constituents are. Well, and I think a lot of people just tend to, to brush off the extreme statements on all sides as well. That's just what people do now. It's just become this widely accepted idea that people can just say whatever they can do, whatever without having many consequences. And it's this feeling that things just don't really matter to people anymore. The consequences are positive in many cases because uh, you've seen it. You run campaigns. 
You take a candidate that's kind of mainstream, you know, a left of center, liberal Democrat in your case, a right of center, conservative Republican in my case. They don't say outrageous things. They're serious minded people. They don't raise the money online yeah. that the Marjorie Taylors do and the Cory Bushes do. And you've seen that. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, you know, the idea of clickbait come to life. And I think it's permeated both extreme ends of politics. And you're absolutely right. The folks in the middle who want to have common sense discussions, who have common sense positions on issues, you know, it's just not sexy enough anymore. It doesn't get the attention. It doesn't get people all worked up to send $5 recurring every single week to someone's campaign committee. And so it just kind of gets lost and the noise rises up and completely drowns out common sense. And it's something I think we, we've we been talking about it for years, but we have to really examine what the long-term impact of that is going to be. You got So you got that end of the spectrum of the low-dollar donors. Then on the other side, you got all this dark money, Michael, that um, – and I look at a race like Kim Gardner for prosecuting attorney. I mean, money was expended on her behalf. Nobody's really quite sure where it came from. That's a problem. Well, it is. Uh, and that's what, you know, came as a result of these Citizens United rulings, John, uh, that came out that uh, that I thought was so problematic. And look, it, it may it's been extremely helpful for the progressives in my party who don't really raise much money, but seem to bring a lot of money in from the coasts. Uh, this could come to bite them uh, because, you know, there's some strong constituencies out there that want to go after these progressive thought leaders. Uh, I'm thinking of APAC, uh, you know, the Jewish uh, Federation's PAC that uh, may wind up coming to Missouri and spending some money in one of these dark committees and taking the progressives out from the very game they invented. Now, back to Hancock and Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Hey there, it's John Hancock. Megan Shackelford is in for Michael Kelly today. And Megan, uh, she works at Show Me Victories. We've known each other for, gosh, 10 years, I think, oh, something yeah. like that. Megan comes in this morning and, uh, you know, she drives a pretty sporty car, kind of late model car. I like it a lot. And she came, came in and said, I got a new car. You got to go check it out. And I said, all right. And she told me where it was parked. I went out and looked at this car and it took me back. I said, I've seen this car before. Where have I seen this car before? Great theme song. Barnaby Jones, starring Buddy Ebsen. Yes. Also starring Lee Lee Merriweather. All right. That Barnaby Jones, he drove a 1978 Chrysler New Yorker. That thing's a boat. It's a boat. At Barnaby Jones's car you bought, Megan. I had no idea. I never heard of Barnaby Jones before. Oh, starring Buddy Epson, who also Jed Clampett back in the day. There we go. Okay. <laughs> I do know Jed Clampett. So, but you didn't buy the Jed Clampett, uh, whatever that carriage thing was that they drove in on with uh, Jethro and uh, and Granny. But you bought the new, the 1978 Chrysler. Folks, this car, <laughs> and I'm sure many of you in our listening audience maybe have driven or seen a 1978 Chrysler New Yorker. You probably haven't seen one lately, but Megan Shackelford is tooling about town in this, uh, I don't know, pimp mobile, whatever you want to call it. This thing's massive. It's a land boat. I mean, that's what it feels like when you drive it. It's so much fun. What got into you to buy a 1978 (sighs) Chrysler New Yorker? 
My partner, Matt, loves an old car. Yeah. He loves a large old car. Well, you you check I've and check on both of those met accounts. Him, he wants a large old car. And we were watching something and we saw one. We're like, oh, man, that's cool. Those are so cool. That's so fun. We just for fun on the Google, checking them out. And sure enough, there was a car just like what we'd seen located in beautiful Staunton, Illinois, right wow. up 55. Yeah. We thought, oh, come on. Why not? Let's just go take a look at it. We drove up and uh, Country Classic Cars in Staunton is a fun place to go for a drive. They uh-huh. have tons of classic cars. And there it was. And there it, it was. And it was just lovely it was it looks amazing it is in original condition it's like two leather couches oh i looked at it the leather seats in that that was a that was quite the car in its day it's very cool and we're lucky matt is very uh, good with cars so you know it's just a fun little so you got got an eight cylinder on that thing i guess yeah and i i don't know much about engines but matt was thrilled because it has a 440 in it which i guess means something to people who care about engines that's why you know you would see barnaby jones get in this car you know, and he was in his 70s here, and he's solving these cases out there, Megan. And uh, Lee Merriweather's back at the office there, Miss America. And uh, Barnaby gets uh, hops in the New Yorker and <laughs> speeds off and goes and pulls his gun, and he brings the bad guy in, and uh, and it was that very car. Uh, what do you get, like seven miles a gallon oh, in that thing? It can't be good. I don't know yet. I mean, we just got it, and so today's my second day driving it about. I'm using it as my errands car to get acclimated whenever no children are around. It's now, not a child-friendly car. Does it have sure. a 1978? Does it have power windows? It has power seats, Whoa. power windows, Whoa. power locks. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. It's very comfortable. It's very comfortable. It's quite fun to drive. Um, it takes a little getting used to. But luckily, one of our other cars is a Ford Flex, which is also a very large car. Yeah. So I feel like driving that, you know, I'm, I'm a little more comfortable than I anticipated. Well, I want to see you get out of this parking spot. I mean, this thing, when I tell you, it's what you could fit in the trunk of this thing. Jimmy Hoffa could be back there. It's 19 feet long. It, it's unbelievable what she's got. In this in, And the hood goes on forever. That thing, I mean, wow. It's fun. It's been, you know, it's just a fun, we, we live in the city. We do not drive much at all. And so, you know, I'm lucky to leave a two-mile radius of my house. So it's just fun to have something that makes the mundane task a little more enjoyable. Roll the windows down, listen to the radio, tool over to the bank, the grocery store, just make the simple things in life a little more fun. And the one thing we know about 1978 automobiles, you know, it's not so much the case anymore, but if you've got a 1978 car, guaranteed you've got AM radio in that thing. Oh, yes. Uh, do you have FM radio in that thing? It does, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's 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 uh, quite luxurious. How many miles on that puppy? Under 60,000. <laughs> I know. I'll be driving it for years to come. 18. That car is forty-five years old. It is with yeah. sixty thousand miles on it. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, and it and it, all the motors, all original. Everything all... works. Yeah, everything is great. Again, I I don't care so much about all that. I just thought it looked really cool and it was quite fun to drive. And I let Matt take care of all that other stuff. But yeah, it's been a. It'll be a real treat. Uh, the kids got a kick out of it. Um, so you know, maybe we'll do some school pickups for the older kids. I don't think a car seat's going in that thing that's for <laughs> well sure. but you know in 78 you didn't need no stinking you car sit seats on the floor, kids, I think, yeah. exactly i didn't I, I wasn't riding around in a car seat when i was a little kid i made it and uh, 
Well, that's I, I'm dying to find out what kind of gas. Do you put regular in there, or pretty? Yeah, to put we had to fill it up when we picked it up. Yeah. Um, and I think it has a 20 gallon tank. Yeah, of course it does. And we drove it back from. Matt but it takes it regular home. gas. Regular gas, and so far oh. though, you know, it, it drove home from Staunton and a couple small trips around the city so far, and it's already lost a quarter of a tank. So yeah. I don't. We'll see how long it lasts. Can you can you smell the oil burning after you uh, pull into the garage? No. Well, and it won't fit in our garage. Of I don't not. even think it could fit in the alley in South City. But, um, you know, no, it doesn't smell. I mean, it smells old. I was just thrilled it didn't smell like an ashtray because it has ashtrays in every single door. So we were just lucky it it smelled just old and not horrible. Well, I tell you, he never smoked in his Chrysler New Yorker. Barnaby Jones. Barnaby Jones. That's exactly (laughs) right. Yeah. Wow. Well, what a what a trip down memory lane that was. We need to step aside when we come back. I'll tell you, that car could probably house four or five homeless people. There's a homeless bill of rights brewing in the Board of Aldermen. We'll talk about that next right here on KMOX. Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes talks football, family, and more. Monday nights during Sports Open Line, only on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. I can't get over this car. 1978 Chrysler New Yorker. Megan Shackelford has blown me away with her <laughs> choice of automobiles. And I got to tell you, folks, uh, I might have to go out and get me one of these things. You should look around. It, it, this place is very cool. The country classic Over cars. in Staunton, Illinois. Yeah. It, I, my daughter loved the Model Ts. You know, oh. of course, she wanted a Mustang, and it was like an $80,000. Yeah, we're not doing that. I was like, yeah. uh, no way. But yeah. it's a cool place. It's fun to check that stuff out. Very, very fun. Well, I'll tell you what's not so fun. They're having a hard time in the Board of Aldermen in St. Louis mm-hmm. figuring out what they're going to do. Well, we got homeless encampments running around. Um, I guess they've kicked them out of City Hall. It's hard to keep up with. Uh, moved them down the street, I, I think. What is going on uh, with this homeless issue in the city of St. Louis? Well, I w- anytime we're talking about a homelessness issue in general, I think it's really important to preface St. Louis is not unique. We are not the only city in this country dealing with this problem. And in fact, compared to a lot of cities, we do not have the overwhelming concern that a lot of places have. So I think that's always important to step back and say this is not a St. Louis unique problem, which means it's probably not a unique solution in St. Louis. Right. There's other places that are doing things that can be done. So I think that's important to point out. Um, You know, it seems to be that the encampment at City Hall, which I think, you know, rightfully had to be moved. The mayor did the right thing. You cannot have people in an unhygienic way camped out at City Hall where folks are trying to do business in the city. Well, they were doing their business out there. I'll tell you that. You know, and and then right across from City Hall, which we've long known any of us who spend time downtown, it's essentially an open air drug market. You know, these things... We have to get this stuff under control. We have to take it seriously. You know, rules matter. Laws matter. um, Everybody should have to adhere to them. And yet we do need to find solutions for folks um, because you cannot just arrest your way out of homelessness. And we know that for sure. Nobody thinks that that's the appropriate way to go. Um, So this Bill of Rights, I understand what the goal is here. It's to try to protect a vulnerable population. It just seems that a lot of the specifics involved in this bill are just not going to be tenable for city government and, quite frankly, aren't fair to the rest of city residents, right? Just because, you know, we know that this needs to be addressed, it's not fair that those of us who live in the city should have to deal with folks using the bathroom in front of our children outside. You know, nobody wants that, and that's one of the components that was in this that— Progressive members of the board have shot down and said, this is a bridge too far. 
Um, I think what's deeply frustrating for me, I, I work downtown. I drive right by City Hall. I saw Mr. Larry Rice out there directing traffic of showing people where to move their tents whenever they moved them out of City Hall. They went to another vacant property right down. I think it's an old city or state building right next to City Hall. Yeah. And there he is right there. Oh, you put that tent over there. You go over there. You know, I'm from Jefferson City, as you mentioned. Mr. Larry Rice has quite a large private property right there in mid-Missouri, doesn't oh, yeah. he? Very large farm, lots of space. You know, if you were really interested in helping folks and giving them permanent place to live and, and rebuild their lives, he seems to have those resources. So I find it very frustrating that he is um, so angry, yet seems to do absolutely nothing. And my understanding is that the, as far as shelter space, and that we've got plenty of vacant shelter space in St. Louis. People are choosing not to be sheltered. Well, there is a serious, there's a caveat to that. What we do not have in the city, and this baffles me that the leadership in the city cannot address this. What we know we don't have is adequate housing for parents with children and for married couples or senior citizens. We do not have adequate for that. Why? We've known this for years. This is not news that we have shelter for single men, We have shelter for single women. We do not have folks who fall in between there. We don't have something that's adequate for them. How can that just be pushed aside and glossed over? We have the resources. We have a lot of great organizations in this city who want to help solve this problem. We do. So what is going on here that heads cannot be pulled together? If this is the most important issue facing the city, what are you doing, City Hall? Uh, And I've not looked, and maybe you've not looked into this either, but the folks that have set up the, the tent encampments are they mostly single people? You know, I don't really know. Yeah. I know for um, I've I have seen the particular situation all the years that I've lived in South City. It's very sad. The, the there's a refugee immigrant couple. Um, I think it was covered widely on this station. They have made an encampment on a sidewalk in front of some homes. Right. They used to be on Gustine um, by the shopping center. I saw them frequently. Um, the big sticking point for that particular family is that they want to be together, which is very understandable. They came to this country together. They don't want to be separated. And yet we haven't. That has been going on for almost a decade. And we still haven't figured out a solution for that. Mm. We have all of this money, all of these resources now. Um, It seems to me that a a minor step in the right direction, you're not going to solve it for everyone, but would certainly be closing that gap for for married couples and families. And the Board of Aldermen, I think, is split on this homeless Bill of Rights, are they not? Yeah, it appears to be that way, I think. Um, you know, the quote unquote progressive block has some disagreements amongst themselves, rightfully so, calling out what seems to be just a lack of common sense in some of the provisions of this. I know Alderwoman Ann Schweitzer has, has really stated her concerns, I think, particularly with the public urination component. Uh, thank you, Alderwoman. That is the correct thing to call out. I think uh, Alderman Michael Browning has had some issues with the lack of a fiscal note. Um, I think the bill may call for some kind of purchasing of tents for folks, and he's rightfully pointing out, you know, Tents vary in cost and, and, and capacity. Do we have cold weather tents? What's the real plan? There's not detail, and, and we need detail if we're going to really solve this problem. So I think that the criticism of the bill from even the progressive members is very well put and coming from the right place. Um, I know there's been suggestions that the workhouse that has been now closed right. is a facility that could probably uh, you know, be upgraded, be improved, and provide some kind of stopgap measure. I think it's been clear that that's a non-starter for folks. Um, so I don't quite deal? understand what people want here. What was the deal with the work? I mean, because it was such a controversy going into the last mayoral election. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lida Krusen was the incumbent mayor. Mm-hmm. Uh, she 
kept the workhouse open and they were utilizing and made improvements it. To and, it. and did yes. make improvements mm-hmm. to it. But it was the cause celeb of so many of the progressives that, to close it down. Yeah. And now we've got all these problems in the city jail that people are dying, literally yeah. dying in city jail. Uh, what was the issue with the work? What was it that, that brought the progressives to make this their their cause, their mission? Well, I don't know if you've ever driven by it. It is certainly not an attractive-looking building. It is not a place that you drive by and think, oh, you know, things are probably going well there, right? It, it looks it And it looks not good. It's in an industrial part of town. I know from the time, and this was years ago now, you know, it had some problems, I think, with mold, which is a serious concern. Sure. Heating and cooling were some problems. Just facilities in general, It's an old, it was an old building. I mean, it's still there. It is an old building. Um, but as we all know, these things are very expensive to deal with, and I think a lot of stopgap measures were put in place to try to uh, really address some of the very real concerns people had about this facility. The drive to fully close it down felt very symbolic. I don't really know exactly what it accomplished other than it was a rallying point to point out, um, you know, the bad conditions for people who are incarcerated there. Um, But I think those conditions were improved. It's not really clear what the full goal of it was because now that it's closed, now the problems have moved, right? They're now across the street um, from City Hall and they're having same problems there. And I think if my understanding is correct, we are now sending local inmates out of yeah. out of St. Louis because we can't house them with the facilities that we have here, and that comes with a cost. That is a huge cost for families. Think about folks who, um, you know, want to be able if a parent is incarcerated, their children can at least visit them, you know, and that that is an option taken away for folks who may not have the budget to travel hours to visit a family member. Right. Um, so there's always unintended consequences whenever something isn't really thoroughly thought through. Again, it seemed to me it was done for a symbolic point to say we accomplished this because there have been criticism of the facility without maybe considering what the fallout of it could be. And I think we're seeing that now. Yeah, well, in, indeed we are. And, you know, we at one time, I think in St. Louis City, were housing prisoners from other overflow areas and getting money. So it's not just the expenditure of the money. It's yeah, the, the county, the I believe, was also using, and it, it was called M- MSI, the Medium Security right. Institute. So it, it, there were other folks that were utilizing it because I, I believe it was actually a state facility. At one time. And mm-hmm. and so the funding came from, I think, various places. It, it's, it's a complicated, convoluted issue, much like defund the police, where complicated, convoluted issues. There's a lot going on. Just having a slogan of close the workhouse, a slogan of defund the police is not solving the problem. It's a slogan. It's not a solution. Well, they're not solving the problem out there. Shocked I am. That's Megan Shackelford. She's in for Michael Kelly. I'm John Hancock. When we come back, we're going to be having a night on Broadway, and it's going to be a fundraiser for Parkinson's research. Mary Beth Dynas is going to join us. She's the organizer of that event. It's coming up. It's going to be something else, and then we'll talk about that next right here on KMOX. The voice of St. Louis. News that matters to you. KMOX. Welcome back. John Hancock joined by Megan Shackelford in for Michael Kelly, who is amazingly out of town today. Uh, a very exciting event coming up this coming week in St. Louis, Thursday night, November the 2nd. It's going to be a night on Broadway to benefit the Michael J. Fox Foundation for the Treatment and Cure of Parkinson's Disease. Joining us right now on the Quiver River Electric Guest Line is one of the organizers of the event, Mary Beth Dynas. Mary Beth, welcome to KMOX. This sounds like a fun event. 
Hi, John. Hi, Megan. Good morning. Gosh, thank you for having me. Yes, it's going to be a great event. Uh, you mentioned it's called A Night on Broadway, and it is benefiting the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Um, it will be a musical performance. Uh, we will have the wonderful Miss Anna Blair performing that night, our local cabaret singer, as well as my husband, Steve Dinas, who has Parkinson's but is a classically trained opera singer. And some other musical guests, uh, yours truly, John, might be joining us as well on a rendition, rendition of something. Uh, I am. Be, yeah, we're, we're so looking forward to that. And I'm a little rusty, though. i got to tell you, I'm going to have to get a little practice in before uh, Okay, Thursday. well, you still have a little time. It is Thursday, November 2nd, as you said. We are performing at the Skip Verop Performing Arts Center at Chaminade, which is a gorgeous venue. Wonderful venue. Yeah, we open, the doors open at 545, and we will have a silent and live auction there, which will be fabulous for those of you that want to do a little pre-Christmas shopping. There's some lovely items um, that have been donated to us. And then it's uh, cocktails and heavy hors d'oeuvres and then the performance. And I think it's going to be a fabulous evening. Yeah, and Steve, your your husband, he's been dealing with Parkinson's for, what, a couple of decades now. And, oh, hold on. Uh, yeah, and he uh, he's going to be singing. What is he singing? Well, he'll be singing. I can't give away the the uh, the uh, list yet, but uh, he'll be singing some Broadway show tunes as well, and accompanied by Anna. And it's it's a great evening. I think the purpose of the evening is really twofold. Of course, we want to raise money to support Michael J. Fox Foundation and the research they're doing. They're really cutting edge and um we just want to jump on the train right now and support them because they've actually had a huge breakthrough in parkinson's uh research this past spring where they identified a biomarker um for objective diagnosis and early diagnosis of the disease which is really important and will ultimately lead to better treatments and we hope a cure um, and the second part of this, really why we're doing this is besides the fundraiser part, is really just to recognize the contributions of those that have the disease still make, even as they battle through this. And so my husband performing on this, he's had it for 20 years. Um, and of course, he has a beautiful voice. He still has yes. a beautiful voice. But Parkinson's is really uh, something that's one of the w w areas that affects is your voice, but he's still working to perform and to showcase his talents, and we want to honor him and respect him for that that night. Well, if anyone in our listening audience would like to hear Anna Blair uh, or Steve Dinas or any of the other performers that evening, how would one get tickets? How much are they, and where can they get the information? So the information is on the Michael J. Fox uh, Foundation website. We have our own specific website called on that site called A Night on Broadway. So if you go to the Michael J. Fox website and go to Take Action and then find an event, you'll see us listed at the top one or two events um, since we're, our event is next week. And then you'll click on that and there's a direct link to donate. Your donation is your ticket to the event and we are asking that people donate $100 a person to join us for that night. If uh, somebody gets to be Thursday and they say, oh, I remember hearing about this on KMOX, can they show up and just pay at the door? Absolutely. Absolutely. We would love to have all, all, all comers to this. You know, we encourage Parkinson's patients themselves. The theater is very accessible and their caregivers. Anyone that is, knows uh, friends or family with Parkinson's, I think they'll find it very uplifting and very supportive.
Yeah, I think this is such a wonderful event, and thank you so much for for putting this together. Uh, I, you know, I had my grandfather had Parkinson's, and it is really challenging for family members. So I think it's so lovely to have an event that everyone can participate in and celebrate. And thank you so much for sharing with us. Oh, thank you, Megan. And I will tell you this: just from my work on this fundraiser, I am amazed at how many people have family and friends with Parkinson's. It is more pervasive than you imagine. And we really need to work to get a cure for it. You know, it, that is so very true. And, of course, here at KMOX, it's very close to home. Our beloved Jack Buck uh, succumbed to Parkinson's disease some 20 years ago. Um, and it's, it's something that if we haven't experienced it directly in our families, we all of us know somebody who struggles with this. Encouraged to hear uh, of the breakthrough research that's coming along. The night is Thursday, November 2nd. It's called The Night on Broadway. It's going to be at the Performing Arts Center out there at Chaminade uh, Preparatory School. It's a wonderful venue. We're asking for $100 or more uh, as a donation to the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Uh, You can get that information from the Michael J. Fox Foundation website or show up Thursday night. The doors open at 545, and uh, there's a live auction, a silent auction, lots to do, lots of entertainment Mary Beth Dinas, thanks so much. Good luck with your event, and we'll see you then. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you, Megan. Appreciate it. You bet. That's Mary Beth Dinas. It's a night on Broadway this coming Thursday evening. Doors open at 530. It sounds like it's going to be lovely, John. Yeah, what I got to get. are you going to perform? Well, so I'm, I'm thinking about that. I'm uh, going back and forth. I haven't done a lot of piano playing lately. I've, I've gotten into snooker, you may know. Do you recall that I have had the pleasure of listening to you play the piano? When? At, in Jefferson City. This yeah. is a Jefferson City-centric show. Yeah. Uh, our friend Patrick's office, yeah. he had an old piano. We were in Jefferson City for some meetings. And by the way, we played pool after those meetings. This was a long time ago, John. Oh, Maybe yeah. eight or nine years. Yes, and yes. you played piano for Michael Kelly and I, and we were blown away. <laughs> I had no idea you had that secret talent back so then. So I think I'm going to perform a piece that I wrote in, uh, in the 1980s called Dixon. And uh, Dixon's a little town in the central part of Missouri, and it's where my father's family goes back into the 1830s from. And we've got, I don't know, three or four generations of Hancocks that are buried in the Dixon Cemetery. And I remember as a young boy, my grandfather passed away, and it's right at the beginning of the Ozark Hills. And so it's very hilly. It's very pretty. Um and back then, driving, you're, you're almost hanging off of the edge of the road, you know, as you're yes. winding your way up there. And it's just that scenery, um, when this theme came out of me, you know, that scenery just kind of spoke to the, the music. It's got a very uh, uh, rural, rustic sound to it. So that's so what I'm going to perform. guests not only get to see you perform, but they get to hear an original John Hancock piece of oh, music. Oh, yeah. People come from inches around. Yeah, they come from inches around just to do that. <laughs> well, we've covered a lot of ground today. There is no further update on the Lewiston shooter. Uh, they're still uh, searching for him. Uh, so we will keep you up to date with that story as the day progresses. Covered a lot of political topics as well. And, uh, We've got one more hour. Chris and Amy are not here today, so it's going to be a a strange day. Megan and I are going to be with you for the next hour. Then Mike Claiborne is going to be in. Uh, And then later on, the DGS show will take over. I think Dave Glover is off. Everybody's off today except for us. 
James O'Sullivan working behind the board, doing a masterful job. As always, Frank Ladd, Megan Shackelford, and I will be back. Ethan Hannafin steps into the control room, and he joins us and joins all of you next hour one more time on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX.